Puerto Rico status plebiscites. The results. Problems encountered during the process. Lessons learned. All this and much more. I am Ivan Gonzalez and this is Inside the Colony. Welcome back everybody. I hope everybody has been having a great day. Let me introduce you to this first edition of the special episodes called Mission Statehood that we're going to be releasing every month and that, yes, you guessed it right, we are going to be discussing none other than statehood, Puerto Rico's progress towards statehood, and we're going to be debunking and explaining many, many important aspects about the statehood movement where did it started and how and, and where it is it now in this particular episode we are going to be discussing the five non-binding local plebiscites that puerto rico has voted in the past but before diving into each of these plebiscites uh, i think it is it is important to do a little bit of uh, to create a little bit of context behind the the plebiscites and I'm gonna do this in uh, bullet fashion, but um, these episodes are going to be are gonna remain short. They're not gonna be as long as the uh, main episodes that I run here on the on the on the podcast. Uh, I'm gonna try to leave this at 20 25 minute mark. Uh, hopefully, I am going to try to be consistent during the uh, next special episodes as well. So. Let's try to go back and dive in a little bit of history before we dive into the status plebiscites. Okay, so 1898, the U.S. acquires Puerto Rico. This obviously happened as a result of the Spanish-American War. Puerto Rico was a Spanish colony uh, for over 500 years, and this is the year that Puerto Rico was acquired by the U.S. 1899. Jose Celso Barbosa founded the first pro-statehood party, the Republican Party of Puerto Rico, which I am a proud registered member currently. 1900, the Foraker Act, which established civilian government on the island of Puerto Rico after it, its, its acquisition in, 19, uh, in 1898. 1917, the Jones Act, or the Jones-Shafford Act, also known as the Puerto Rico Federal Relations Act, signed by President Woodrow Wilson. This act provided U.S. citizenship to Puerto Ricans. 1940, the DNC and the GOP endorsed, for the first time, statehood on a national level. 1950, Act 600, this basically established or... Um, provided for a process to establish a constitution, a local constitution in Puerto Rico. Two years later, this constitution will be approved, will be voted on by the Puerto Ricans and approved by the uh, Congress. 1967 is the first status plebiscite, the very first that we're going to be discussing here. In this plebiscite, statehood got the second most, was the second most voted option of all the options. 1968, New Progressive Party was founded by Luis A. Ferrer. This is the current dominant 
party in Puerto Rico and it is the only party that is mission, its sole purpose is to advocate for statehood. 1993, second plebiscite. In this plebiscite, the Commonwealth or territorial option loses for the first time the majority of the votes and becomes a plurality, meaning that it won by the plurality of votes rather than the majority of the votes. 1998, this is the third plebiscite. Statehood got second place after the none of the above options, and I'll explain that later. But the first was the first option, was the first most voted option among the real alternatives for a status change. And 2012, which is the fourth plebiscite, in this one, uh, people voted no to continue the current territorial status of Puerto Rico with a 54%, and the majority also voted for statehood among the status alternatives provided in the ballot. And finally, the last of the Mohicans, or the last of the plebiscites so far, the 2017 plebiscite, which resulted in statehood winning the majority of the votes. However, there was a very low participation. So there you have it. This is uh, a very summarized view of what has happened since our acquisition by the US, by the United States, all the way into 2017. So now let's dive into the uh, local plebiscites. Let's take them by one, one by one. And hopefully we're going to basically explain the results or the options available, the results and the lessons learned on each of those um, plebiscites. But first, on to the uh, 1967 status plebiscite. That plebiscite provided the voters with uh, three options. One was independence, commonwealth, and statehood. The electoral turnout on that election for that plebiscite was 66%. Now, the results are as follows. Uh, independence got 4,000 votes. I'm going to round them. I'm not going to go with the exact numbers just for, you know, for podcast purposes. Commonwealth got 425,000 votes, which actually won the uh, plebiscite. And statehood was the second most favored option with 274,000 votes. These polls, or I just say these referendums or plebiscites, they serve mostly as polls. Uh, remember, these are non-binding referendums. So that means that the United States Congress, which is the ultimate responsible for making the decisions to all the U.S. territories, um, basically does not have, a, uh, you know, it's not binding for them. They don't, they don't have to, uh, they have to go with whatever the result is, and they don't have to uh, do anything on their end. All these referendums, including this one, but all of them, they mostly serve as a kind of a exit poll thing where you can actually tell. It's like a statistics. You can actually tell what is the preference and, and how the uh, the voters are basically ever-changing into what ultimately is going to be their preference. Moving on to the second plebiscite, which is the 1993 plebiscite. This one observed a much higher uh, uh, vote count. Population was higher, of course, in 1993 than in 1967, so that is expected. Um, and, also, of course, uh, uh, the Commonwealth faction and the state faction were more competitive to each other. 
I should put it that way. So in the 1993, we got the same exact options. Again, independence, commonwealth, and statehood. Independence got 75,000 votes. Commonwealth option got 826,000 votes. And statehood option got 788,000 votes. Basically, statehood continued to be the second most voted option. Very close, very close, very close to the Commonwealth option. In fact, uh, independence represented at 4%, Commonwealth at 48.6% roughly, and statehood represented 46.3% roughly as well. So you could more or less argue that Commonwealth and statehood were at a stalemate. Of course, Commonwealth got more votes, so they got the win. However, there's a very important thing about this plebiscite, and it is that it, is, it marks the first time that the Commonwealth faction does not have majority of the votes. So, like I said, they got 48.6%, whereas in 1967, they actually got 60% of the votes. So from being a super majority, they, you know, many, many... Years later, decades later, they were only they only achieved the plurality of votes. This is where things started to get a little bit more complicated to the Commonwealth faction. The next two, let's say the next three plebiscites, the nineteen ninety eight, the two thousand twelve, and the two thousand seventeen plebiscites, the Commonwealth faction was able to contest the results by establishing some different tactics in each one of those uh, plebiscites. And we're going to get into the specific strategies behind each of them. Uh, however, let's go and move on to the 1998, and then we'll take it from there. The 1998 uh, consultation was a little bit different. The, this consultation uh, provided the voters with, um, you know, two more options. One of the options was not a valid status option. It was more of a protest option, if you want to put it that way. It, it, it was an option so that people that were mad at the current administration, that, were, that didn't want statehood, didn't want any of the options at all. They could rally all into this option and vote it there. So that was the, the tactic behind this option. Now, the options are, in, or where, independence, commonwealth, for the first time ever, free association, and I'll get a little bit into that, statehood again, and none of the above. The none of the above option is the one that I'm saying. This is the, the, the tactic that the commonwealth party used in order to boycott or contest the results and make it look so as the statehood option didn't win. Free association was for the first time there, and free association is, uh, you know, uh, at the end of the day, it's what it's called the Compact of Free Association. And this is just another term for saying independence. It's just that you have an independence within a, with, a, with a contract, with an association contract with, you know, with the United States in this case, you know, in this regard. So uh, back then, people were not as, as informed, I, I should say, about this, but. Um, at the end of the day, this is what the um, the White House 
reports and 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 whatnot have all said that the free association option is is a form of independence uh, and literally is based on a mutual agreement which obviously is going to benefit more the the country that has the the power in this case the United States if that were the case again you know in, in regards to Puerto Rico so let's talk a little bit about the none of the above the none of the above again was put there and was the whole purpose of it was to derail the statehood result and what happened was that the commonwealth faction knowing that after 1993 they didn't have the majority no more they were starting to panic and they created this option uh, and the result was that they were going they advocated so that everybody that irrespective of their of their feelings um, and respective of, of anything at all, you know, not taking into consideration anything at all. If you were just mad about the government, the current administration, which was from the uh, non -prog uh, New Progressive Party, if you were just uh, mad uh, at them for any reason, if you didn't want statehood at all, you had that option. You didn't have to identify with independence. You didn't have to identify with the Commonwealth option. You just had one option that you could say, you know what, I don't care, I don't give a damn about this thing, and you know what, I'm just going to make statehood loose because I'm just I'm just mad, I don't care about anything, and the government is, is, is not good to me, so here it is, I'm going to vote none of the above. Or just, you know, or you could argue as well that uh, that option obviously was um, attracted people that really didn't care about anything, you know, about status. You know, so there you go. You had that option, and the results were the same. Were as, as follows: the results were independence with thirty nine thousand. So, in, in just five years, independence lost uh, pretty much half of the votes. And this is not it's not that they lost the votes; it's that they half of the voters, uh, the independence voters, they decided to group themselves and vote into the none of the above. It was a very good tactic. I'm telling you, this was perfect. The Commonwealth. Uh, option, and you're gonna see this now. The Commonwealth option only got 900 votes, roughly, roughly a thousand votes. Again, come all the people, all Commonwealth advocates, and the and, and the Popular Democratic Party said to their voters, "You are not gonna vote in the Commonwealth option. You're gonna vote in the none of the above option." And this is again to make it so that the statehood option looked like it was defeated. Free Association got 4,000 votes, roughly, and statehood option got 728,000, which is less, of course, less than the statehood option uh, on the 1993 ballot. Um, however, it still maintains roughly the 46%, and the none of the above was the big winner here with 787,000 votes, with, again, in this time, the majority of the votes with 50.3, roughly, uh, percent of the votes. I should say the 1993 and the 1998 they have roughly the same electoral turnout. They they were pretty much in the 70 to 75 percent. But here you can you can detect it and it worked perfectly. It worked like charm. Um, independence, Commonwealth, um, and even you could argue that even some some uh, statehooders that were mad at the current administration for whatever reason they did not they did not vote there. I mean you you can see. 
right here uh, more or less a 60,000 votes decrease from in just five years and and population was not decreasing at all so it's, it's not a it's not a you cannot argue that the votes for statehood are lower because there's less statehooders in the island that makes no sense so in, in reality uh, it, it, I could I could argue that maybe even the none of the above option captures some of those votes maybe you know or maybe they just didn't vote at all and they just stayed in their homes that could that could also be uh, what happened however those were the results um, the Commonwealth faction was able to uh, manipulate the results and go to Congress and say you know what statehood did not win people just don't want any change in status because people voted that we they, they didn't want nothing they didn't want none of those options so that was that the 2012 vote came and the 2012 vote was also a little bit different the, 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 the ballot was constructed in a two phase ballot or, or I should say a two question ballot those two questions were not attached to each other uh, they were on the same ballot of course but you could answer one question and the second question irrespective of how you answer each one, each of them individually so well, the first question it was a simple one it asked basically the voters to say whether they wanted to continue the current territorial status with the United States or not and in there pretty much 54% roughly said no we don't want to continue the current territorial relationship with the United States that means that the you know the majority of the people voted to um, not to continue under the territorial clause of the US Constitution they wanted a different relationship now the second question um, asked voters to choose their preferred non-territorial non-colonial status option from the alternatives and the alternatives were pretty much the same as in 1993 independence commonwealth again uh, well actually commonwealth was not in that uh, um, particular question because it was voted on the on the top question right the territory was uh, also the, the commonwealth so the options on the second question was independence free association again statehood statehood got 61 percent of the votes in that second question however there was another tactic employed by the commonwealth factions and the tactic was simple this 2012 vote was done in the general elections meaning that it was expected a very high turnout in fact it it did had a great uh, huge turnout almost almost 80 percent turnout so a lot of people voted there and the Commonwealth faction, meaning the Popular Democratic Party, decided to boycott the plebiscite by telling their voters to say, hey, you know what? I know you're going to go to an election. Go take that ballot. Answer the first question as, as, as a yes or however you want to answer it. But when, when going to the second question, leave it blank and submit that ballot. Uh, with the second question blank and that's what pretty much a lot of people did in fact roughly 5,000 5, and uh, 500,000 votes I should say I'm sorry 500,000 votes roughly decided to leave the second question blank so ultimately when the results were in and the statehood movement were claiming victory because it was the most voted option under the alternatives well Guess what? The Commonwealth faction went to Congress and said, hey, it's not legit. It's, it's it, it, What they're saying is not true. Look, there's 
500,000 people that did not vote on that on that question. So they didn't they didn't want any of those options. Again, it's like a none of the above thing again. But in this time, the tactic was a little bit different because they didn't allow the the, the Supreme Court of Puerto Rico did not allow them to um, have an, a none of the above option, which actually they wanted to include. So the only the only tactic they could employ back then to manipulate Congress um, and confuse Congress was to say, you know what, go do this and 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 don't vote on that on that question. So Congress ultimately recognized, without a doubt, the first. Um, uh, question the results on the first question, which was well, Puerto Ricans don't want to continue under the territorial clause, so we got to do something about it. And but they did not recognize or they had enough doubt in their minds about the second question, so they left it like that. And they said, you know what? Now you gotta, you, you know, you gotta make up your mind on what is the status option that you want. But uh, clearly, 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 uh, uh, they don't. They, you know, Puerto Rico doesn't want to continue uh, the path that they're on. After the 2012 vote under the Obama administration. Congress appropriated 2.5 million dollars for uh, a status referendum in Puerto Rico or a status plebiscite, and in order for the government of Puerto Rico to actually use the money, they have to request the money, and they have to send all the materials and all the definitions and basically the ballots and all that to the U.S. Department of Justice to the U.S. DOJ. For them to say, you know what, these definitions, these materials, these ballots, they are in an agreement or they are uh, in line or they don't, or, you know, they're in line with the U.S. Constitution, uh, with the definitions that we have uh, about each of the options and, you know, the, the ballot is valid, everything is valid and we're okay. And they would technically approve that and then they will, uh, you know, they will release the money. Uh, that would create some sort of a Biden referendum, which we'll be talking in a, in a different episode. Uh, to the for the first time ever to the to a status plebiscite in Puerto Rico. So that is that was a proof. I I don't remember right now the exact year, but it was under the Obama administration, maybe 2014 or something. I'm, I'm not 100 percent sure, but it was it was it was a response that Congress did following the 2012 vote. That money has not been used. The Puerto Rican statehood government that was elected in 2016 decided as a strategy to actually do a consultation, which is the 2017 plebiscite that we're going to talk about now. And they tried to make it so that they would get the approval of the DOJ in order to get the money, finance part or you know part of the, uh, the cost of the plebiscite, but also get the the binding aspect of the of the plebiscite, right? They they did not achieve that. There were some misfortunes throughout the process. The OJ didn't like some of the definitions. They requested a couple of changes. In fact, the government did change a couple of things in order to get the money. Uh, to be honest with you, the OJ didn't release, even though the government changed. Um, everything, in my opinion, everything that the U.S. DOJ requested from them. Uh, which included actually having the territorial option in the ballot, which originally was not, uh, and some minor cosmetic and different you know things that there were uh, uh, you know included in their requests. Even though they changed all that, the United States Department of Justice did not release the money and did not make it binding or federally sponsored. 
this had the end result that together with the Commonwealth faction saying or arguing that their option of Commonwealth was not there, although the option was there uh, under the territory option, they argued that and they said to the voters, you know what, don't go to vote. And since the process was not pretty much favored by either statehooders or, uh, you know, there were a lot of mixed reactions to the ballot itself. Many statehooders believe that territory should not, should not have been included in the government and that the governor should not have listened to the uh, request of the DOJ. Well, you know, there were there were concerns on, 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 on both sides of the aisle and the, rest, the end result was that it was also kind of boycotted because it, this is by far the plebiscite with the lowest electoral turnout. I think it was roughly 20-something percent. So, what were the options in the 2012 election uh, plebiscite? The options were statehood independence and territory. And the and, and the fact about the, the independence option was that it was a, it was a two-sided option. It, 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 it included as a single column the full outright independence and the um, uh, free association option. The whole point of it was that if the independence free association option, which was one single option, beat it, statehood and the territory, the actual law, as it was, um, uh, you know, the actual law uh, for the plebiscite, as, as it was enacted, mandated that in, in such a case, there was going to be a second follow-up um, referendum or, yeah, referendum or plebiscite only between the independence and free association option, meaning that the statehood option was going to be uh, left out for the first time ever. Technically, as in saying, okay, it seems that independence is the, is the way to go, so now you're going to have to decide whether you want an association with or you want outright independence, so go ahead and decide. Since that option did not want, uh, obviously, we didn't we didn't cross that bridge. So, statehood option won with ninety nine percent of the vote. However, the vote voter turnout was very 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 low. And when we sent the message to Congress, um, Congress didn't listen. They said that it was too low. Although although at the end of the day, I mean, I could argue a lot of things, and I, I'm just gonna say this one thing: voter turnouts in the United States elections are very low. It is the way it is. It is very low. So if you, if, uh, for me, the argument that the voter turnout on the plebiscite is low and that and it makes it invalid, I think that's complete BS. That is full BS. But again, we have a Congress that did not want to act. If they wanted to act, they would not. They would not have cared about that. But they're just making excuses and excuses because they don't want to act on their territory. I mean, it's 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 it's, it's easier for them to just manage a territory on their committees and subcommittees of both the House and the Senate than to actually have a state. And, and, and then, you know, you have to make all the effort to, to care for that state because it is a state. Those are the five status plebiscites. I, I'm going to do this special episodes uh, at least once monthly. Uh, we're not just going to discuss statehood. We're going to discuss other topics, but however, uh, whatever topic it is, it's going to be, uh, hopefully, uh, it's going to be at least on a monthly basis, um, on a weekend 
uh, maybe it's gonna be probably released uh, Saturday. Um, so it's gonna it's gonna be dedicated to a single topic, um, whether that be statehood, whether that be something else. They're just gonna be dedicated to that specific topic. And with this, that'll be all for today. I am Ivan Gonzalez, and this is Inside the Colony. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe and leave a 5-star review. Also, please tell your families, your friends, and everyone you know about this podcast and tell them to subscribe as well. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Breaker, and almost everywhere you listen to your own podcasts. And if you want to support this podcast, you can also go to anchor.fm slash itc slash support. That is anchor.fm slash itc slash support. You can find a link of this in the description of our channel. Thank you very much and have a wonderful day.